over 50% of the people that we polled, uh, which by the way, we get something like 95,000 responses to our developer survey. That's what we got last year, right? So generally a material sample set. And uh, we got, uh, it, in those results, we realized that over close to half of those folks had written a line of code before they were like, you know, 17 years old. Coming up on the podcast today, we're talking to Prashanth. He is the CEO at Stack Overflow. This is Tech Talks. It's your twice-weekly technology podcast, interviews with technology leaders and a bit of technology news. So if you're into tech, this is the podcast for you. Ali, how are you? Hello, Dave. How, how, how was your weekend? Look, I know this is going out on Tuesday morning, Yeah. but we're recording on Monday. You managed not to be blown away, despite the fact that you're kind of like the size of Piglet. Yeah, well, um, I wasn't in the UK this weekend. Oh! But, um... Where were you? Thank goodness. I was in um, France. You've just shown me a picture of the Eiffel Tower, so I should have been able to guess that. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was in Paris. It was the first time I saw the Eiffel Tower. It was really beautiful and really big. Did you go up it? Um, no. Oh, why not? I don't know why. I didn't, I didn't know you can go up it. Just... Sorry, you didn't know you could go up the Eiffel Tower? Yes, look at it. It's just its just a tower. It's really quite freaky in wind because it moves. You can hear it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The wind was quite strong. No, 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 no. no. It moves. It's like sways. Yes. Jesus. Like alarmingly. Mm. You will be stood at the top of the Eiffel Tower and you will take one or two steps to your left or right to like literally correct really? your balance at times. Oh, Have yeah. you been up it while it was windy? Yeah. There's a poor bloke who's up there who sells champagne all day. And I just think it must be... No, no, he's got a little booth because he's not like <laughs> okay. yeah, juggling it. Around. I, I don't know. I just... A weird place to work. Yeah, I wouldn't be able to. Imagine I, imagine you walking down, coming home there's afterwards. A there's, there's a lift. Okay. No, I know there's a lift. Oh, whatever. You can't. You're allowed to walk to the second level, but then you can't walk the final stretch. But the arse stairs all the way to the Yes. Oh. Because when it was built for the World Trade Fair, obviously it wasn't built with lifts. And Mr. Eiffel, mm. um, who I think was a meteorologist, I might have that in t- That might be total bollocks. Yeah, I do think that's wrong. Ah. I do think that's wrong. <laughs> Thanks for the vote of confidence. I didn't know. I do honestly think that's wrong. Do you I think know he was, it's wrong? I, yeah, I do know it's wrong because I Googled it. I think he's some sort of, is a scientist, wasn't a meteorologist. Close enough. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they've got a weather station up there, right? I'm sure they have. You are telling me facts I don't know. So. Okay, well, there's, there's a guy with champagne up there. I can tell you that with, with certainty. <laughs> okay. Um, anyway, today's episode, we are talking all about Stack Overflow. Uh, and sometimes you can you can pour too much champagne in a glass and then it overflows. There's a seamless link. That was <laughs> awful. They get better. Um, yes, no, it's with Prashanth, the new CEO of Stack Overflows. This is this is a fun interview. It's talking all about development, uh, development communities, and the future of work. Uh, stay tuned. Myself and Ali will have some comment on it afterwards, and then a bit of tech news later on in the show. Today we're talking to Prashant uh, here at Stack Overflow. You're the CEO at Stack Overflow. That's right. You've been in post for five months. Four months, actually. Four months. So this is a uh, you know I'm still just coming out of my uh, you know my first ninety days. I'm adding twenty percent to your tenure. Yeah, already. that's right. <laughs> it's only, it only feels like a year. I can tell you that it, 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 we age very very quickly uh, at Stack Overflow. It's really a <laughs> high intensity, high pace, but a lot of fun, obviously. So. Um, before we get into any of the topics that you're keen to talk about with us, um, it might be worth interesting. Just sorry, it might be worth starting by saying who are Stack Overflow, because I think many people will be familiar with the the name of the site. Maybe they haven't used it though. 
that's fair? Yeah, I think that's probably true. I would say uh, for the average developer, however, I would say uh, every developer in the world knows about Stack Overflow because they very much leverage our resource and our community on a daily basis to solve their their problems. Um, and so that is uh, that is you know. I think generally the case. I think the average person in technology or you know in a managerial position uh, probably has heard of it, has probably not used it. Yeah. Right? it's one of those things. And so we're still, um, you know, we're we are making sure that the world knows about you know the impact that we that we create. And we're basically, you know, we we like to think that we keep the the internet humming because we really operate at such a vast scale. Uh, in our community, that uh, it is just, uh, it's just you know, just fascinating. You know, the, the level of impact that we have. I mean, it's a hugely visited site. I think it's yes. what is it, fifty thousand unique? Sorry, fifty million rather unique visitors a month. Yeah, uh, 50, 50 million users a month just on Stack Overflow. Yeah. If you include all our Stack Exchange websites, that's most. That's another seventy million. So we're talking right. about over one hundred and twenty million people show up on our websites every month. And on top of that, we have uh, something to the order of one hundred and fifty thousand people that sign up for new accounts every mm. month. So, you know, just it tells you 12 years after our founding, the level of scale that we have, which is, you know, just tremendous and so great to see that it's a, such a thriving community. And a lot of that, by the way, I have to uh, mention this, which is it's credit to our founders uh, who created just a great, great system uh, of, you know, the, the, the actual platform, the community platform that, that they created. It's got so much logic around the gamification and all the things mm. that you know that work and make the community actually uh, continue to contribute and for it to allow to uh, allow it to be such a thriving community. You, you mentioned you mentioned community there. Actually, I think that's a really yeah. interesting point because um, I suppose when you've got that many users, it first of all validates everything that everyone's saying along the lines of "Hey, coding is." Coding is such an important skill, regardless of industry that you're going into. And you must have a huge amount of new users coming onto the site who are new to industry. But at the same time, lots of very experienced users who've been in enterprise for a long time. So catering for that broad church or broad community of people must be an interesting challenge. Definitely. I think it is uh, it is almost an obligation for us because, you know, if you think about the number of developers that officially exist, if you look at, uh, you know, Evan's data or any sort of research data, so just suggests sort of in the 25 million, do- 25 million sort of range. But we have 50 million people showing up to Stack Overflow, which is, you know, truly full stack engineering, true software development framework type questions, which suggests then that there are a lot more people beyond just the, you know, the 25 million folks that, uh, you know, they're officially tagged as developers that are attending, you know, they're showing up and actually asking questions. And so that points to the fact that there's so many people around the world that are coming uh, coming online. It doesn't matter which part of the world, whether that's in the U.S., whether that's in Europe, whether that's in Asia. Uh, it, it's just that there are so many young folks that are coming on and you know effectively joining the workforce as a developer. And many of them are starting out as hobbyist developers, mm-hmm. right? So if you look at the data from our developer survey in 2019, 80% of folks uh, are you know started out uh, you know just effectively just uh, you know uh, experimenting with code and the places that they go to are online forums like Stack Overflow. Um, and so it's just, it's fascinating to see some of the stats. Uh, another one that I think is interesting is over 50% of the people that we polled, uh, which by the way, we get something like 95,000 responses to our developer survey. That's what we got last year, right? So generally a material sample set. 
and uh, we got uh, it, in those results we realized that over close to half of those folks had written a line of code before they were like you know 17 years old hmm. right so these are so it just suggests to you that the world is rapidly accelerating as digital transformation takes over as the you know the the brick and mortar world converges with digital. There's all that has got massive implications on talent. It has ma- massive implications on who's actually going to go build the next generation of disruptive companies, and all that means that uh, people need assistance. They need help, and they're generally coming to places like Stack Overflow to get that help. You mentioned gamification as a as a tooling on the site that that is used to engage with your community. You must see the trends, I suppose, in how development itself is evolving. Because if you think about kind of automation coming into industry and low code and no code and an increasing uh, degree of uh, creativity coming into the developers to the, to the developers kind of day job, mm. you must have a have a broad picture about what is actually happening and the types of people coming into into industry. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we definitely look and thoughtfully analyze a lot of that data. Our data science team spends a lot of time with the. Uh, developer um, survey plus just in generally how do uh, community members use our site and what do they leverage it for and one of the couple of things we're seeing um, and this is relevant to my own background you know coming from a company like Rackspace where I led uh, cloud services businesses uh, is that we see a lot of convergence between folks that are you know writing uh, traditional uh, writing you know just pieces of code using you know could be frameworks like Python or uh, Python Django or mm. it could be um, um, you know, but it, it sort of doesn't stop there. It extends to cloud transformation. So, meaning people using Amazon Web Services to Microsoft Azure to Google Cloud, uh, you know, uh, container orchestration like Kubernetes. So, all these things are sort of converging. And historically, when we started our company uh, in uh, 2008, uh, it was purely meant as a coding Q&A site. And then what we've noticed is our communities, as they've kind of uh, expanded, we've got communities like Server Fault, we've got communities like Software Engineering, all these uh, additional communities uh, <clears throat> showcase that people actually care about development in a, new, in a slightly different way these days than they did like many years ago. So mm. it, is not, it, is, it is almost Im, uh, impossible to go talk to a software engineer who is not exposed to the cloud in some fashion or not exposed to big data or AI or ML to your earlier point or automation more broadly, right? And so in order to do that, the power of the cloud, the power, the, the fact that there are so many managed services that are making it extremely easy for people to run, you know, um, uh, training, mod, uh, uh, training models on AI ML and to really get going really very quickly uh, through a, you know, Amazon Web Services uh, managed service, is they're just kind of expanding very, very rapidly. So people are getting a lot faster with, you know, the, they're, and they're accelerating their own development of whatever applications they're building uh, because they now have access to so much power and mm-hmm. so much, uh, you know, so much capability that these great companies are building. So I think development is changing in that uh, all these things are converging. And I think our own website, you know, we will be thinking about how do we make it very uh, seamless and uh, also more kind of um, representative of that convergence. One thing I wanted to ask you about quickly was what, how you think is it, it's best to engage with technology and technology staff in the broader context of enterprise moving forward. Because if you talk about communities and you often think of tribes, we, we obviously are trying to harness those increasingly through online communication platforms. Uh, if you look at kind of virtual teams, it's, it's kind of the way that we have to move now. Um, because so many people are working from home. I'm sat in a room with people who are working out of several different locations across different continents half the time. So you have to be able to communicate with, with each other fairly seamlessly online. 
But a lot of those toolings seem to be replicating conversational modes of communication. Mm. GIFs are being added in. It's very kind of text speak. It's very uh, trying to input personality back in and make sure that company culture isn't lost. But I suppose that doesn't necessarily lend itself to development workflow and how developers and technical staff like to work. And you're working with some of these platforms to try and make sure that's catered for, correct? Yeah, no, absolutely. I think, uh, you know, spot on observation that, you know, uh, the world is changing in terms of the tech workforce is rapidly changing, you know, at, at a macro level, right? So even if you look at our own company, Stack Overflow, a good chunk, maybe about half of our product engineering team uh, is completely remote. Uh, so when you think about the future of work, as that, that, that people call it these days, uh, it is absolutely grounded in being a remote-friendly culture and making sure they're distributed teams because, you know, the talent that you need to be able to execute on your, you know, grand visions of, you know, the product uh, are likely not going to be found in the, you know, two-block radius or in the city of whatever you're based in. So you typically are going to find amazing folks all around the world who are massively talented uh, and, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, we're talking about we're sitting here in London uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's an interesting time to have that conversation with, you know, with Brexit and, mm. you know, the rest of the, of the mayor and the world. But that is really, you know, what that's all about. It's like, how do you get access to towns all around the world to be able to, to accelerate your development? Now, having said that, our, our team, uh, you know, came across this of several years ago in terms of the phenomenon that began uh, accelerating. So we created a private version. This is one of our three products that we have. Uh, and this third product is called, our newest product is called uh, Stack Overflow for Teams. So Stack Overflow for Teams is really uh, exactly what our community members experience on the public community Q&A site, but an internal private version of the same thing that allows them to collaborate and share knowledge uh, in the way that they love doing mm. externally, but it's purely for their private information. And the, the great uh, element of that is that it, uh, it's very, it is absolutely easy to use because they've been using it. They use it daily in the public community, so it's just effectively the same methods, which is, you know, there's no onboarding when we think about, you know, how do you open up tools. Secondly, it integrates with everything that uh, they likely use as part of their developer workflow uh, today, which is uh, using Slack for, you know, their, their chat or using Microsoft Teams. That's another mm -hmm. kind of alternative. We're using Jira. Uh, or using GitHub Enterprise, uh, we integrate with all these uh, developer-centric technologies and platforms for various reasons, whether it's code collaboration or, or you know, just chat ops as an example. And so, it's really, it is part of the the, the very seamless workflow of, of a of a developer just trying to ship code really fast internally. Yeah. Uh, so, one example I'll give you, a custom example, is Microsoft uh, is leveraging our Stack Overflow for Teams product uh, to the order of 70,000 employees internally leverage our product, right? And mm. so what they do is they very seamlessly have, you know, product, product management, uh, engineering teams, product marketing teams, uh, high, all leveraging the same internal content. So then they can enable their go-to-market teams to be able to go and, uh, and you know, get get these products to market, right? So they say it's a, it's a really great way to to keep the latest and greatest information about your products uh, online. I can totally see why that product makes sense. Yeah. Um, one quick question. Part of the strength of Stack Overflow is that size of the community and being mm -hmm. able to share information mm -hmm. and that knowledge share is key. Mm -hmm. If people increasingly go into private channels, does mm -hmm. that is that a concern for you as a business to make sure that you don't lose that element of that, that broader big community? Yeah, no, not really. I would say uh, because the public community, I think the, the great, you know, we just are so blessed to work with this community that is so open to sharing. And they really, it's part of the DNA of a developer. I mean, I, I started as a developer, so it's one of those things which, 
um, sharing and contributing to the community, contributing to open source, all those sort of things are just ingrained in something that's part of the DNA of mm-hmm. a developer. So that is never going to go away. I think it's that is uh, foundationally uh, there. Now, the world's questions are sort of answered in many ways, and they, they will continue to expand as new technologies uh, get added. But the private uh, use case is mostly for, you know, when, when you have something that's very specific to your team, or it can be, it's, it is truly private in nature for security reasons or for competitive reasons, etc. cetera. Uh, that is, that's really the thought there. If you think about the foundation, however, you know, how you actually write code in Python or Ruby or Rust, etc. You know, that's generally, you know, that's everybody understands that. Mm. There's a difference between just going up, you know, it's just really about, you know, their level of understanding. So the community really wants to bring people along and to learn about these tech languages very fast and, you know, uh, and efficiently. Uh, and that's why that'll continue to, you know, really thrive. Now you mentioned that you're four months in. Yeah. So why are you here? You know, you had a great job at Rackspace. Right. Uh, seven years there. Yeah. So why, why join Stack Overflow and what are you trying to achieve? Personally, and then for the business, I suppose over the next yeah. six months, a year or so. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I was. You know, I just fell in love with the the company. Uh, very specifically, I know this moment when it happened is that when I looked at the the map of the world that Stack Overflow operated, uh, you know, in and in terms of the community, and there was literally there there are there are probably a handful of companies that I can uh, that I can you know point to that actually have that sort of a significant uh, level of impact around the world because we're you know there there's not a there is not a uh, single developer that doesn't leverage us, uh, you know, for all intents and purposes. You know, so it's just it's just uh, just the amount of impact that we create is just is just too is too big to, to ignore. And obviously, all my teams at Rackspace historically had used Stack Overflow the community for many years, and mm-hmm. so uh, we uh, always respected the company. Uh, and uh, when uh, when this opportunity came along, it was just uh, too good to pass. Well, look, it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you today. Thank you for spending some time. And fingers crossed the role does continue to go well. I think you're going to share a blog post as well with us that, we'll, yes. that we will reference in the show notes uh, about your first few months in, in role, right? Yes, absolutely. Thank you for doing that. And, I, you know, yes, I just wrote after my first 90 days, uh, you know, a, a very detailed blog post. Uh, I think it was something like 2,500 words. Uh, but it talks about, you know, not only our community, it talks about all our products, our talent uh, product, which is basically allowing companies uh, to you know, uh, to leverage our platform to, mm. to and also developers to find the roles, uh, uh, you know, at these companies, uh, our engagement and ads business, which allows companies to um, to showcase their developer centric products and for developers to learn about them, to to, to try them out, and then ultimately this uh, private teams uh, product that I just described. So all those things are described. Our plans for the future are described uh, in there. So I appreciate you sharing it, and also really thank you for your time and for uh, you know taking. Take a little bit of time to talk to us. No worries. So 50% of the Stack Overflow community, which is, they said 95,000 people replied to their developer surveys. 50% had written code before the age of 17. Crazy. Absolutely crazy. It just shows you that that's what, that's what people are finding interesting nowadays, isn't mm. it? That's what that's what young people are finding interesting nowadays. Oh, come on, please. How old are you? I'm... I'm 24 on Wednesday. Thank <laughs> you very much. You're, so you're still Listen, 23. Look, no, I'm just saying, yeah. the, the, this, this, that, 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 you're shaking your head at me, but actually there's a point here, right? No. In, the world is moving so quickly. 
But exactly. you at 23 are saying, are saying young people. Are young, yeah. right? But it is it's true. Like if I, if I look at this, there's a five-year age gap between my brother and I. And what he was interested in and what I'm interested or was, in, no, what he is interested in and what I was interested in, two completely different things. It's got nothing to do with the fact that I'm a female and he's a male. It's got to do with the fact that that's the way the world moves. He's interested in all that technology stuff because that's what he grew up with. Okay, so I was having a conversation with someone actually uh, over the weekend where we were trying to work out, is the world changing quicker for people my age or people your brother's age? And mm. let me frame that. I, When I was 13, mobile phones didn't exist. Mm. Whereas by the time I was 18, everyone pretty much had a mobile phone. We went from a world where if you met someone you kind of said, oh, I'm going to meet you here. And you kind of had to do that. And then all of a sudden, we had internet connectivity. We had smart, yeah. well, we didn't have smartphones, we had mobile phones. So I suppose we didn't have internet connectivity. Mm-hmm. Versus a generation where this stuff's always been there, but it's just incremental changes. I kind of That's feel true, like yeah. maybe people somewhere between my age and your age mm-hmm. went through a bigger period of change where they went from no smartphones to smartphones versus people now who have always had smartphones and it's just faster internet or better internet. Do you kind of get what I mean? I do understand what you mean, but I don't think... The the question you asked was, is the world changing faster for people your age compared to people my brother's age? That's the question you asked. Yeah, and probably not. And And I don't think... Well, I don't think so. I think the world's changing quicker... For people my brother's age, because they keep up with it. Mm. I think if you look at the well, average... If they keep up with it, surely it doesn't feel like it changes as quickly. If, if, to too me, much. it would feel like it's changing quicker because suddenly exactly. I'm out of touch. Exactly, exactly. But it's not really because you're not... My grandmother, for instance, she has never used a mobile, mobile phone in her life. She still has not used a mobile phone in her life. Mm. She doesn't. So for, for people our age versus people my brother's age, like I'm saying... They're just keeping up with it more. We're kind of like, oh, well, this is what we use. We'll get exposed to Twitter. I mean, you're on Instagram. Wow. Yeah, well, yes. Instagram's quite old, though, now. I sometimes so what's the, people... the new thing? TikTok. I don't know. Exactly. And that's what the shit my... Ooh, that's the shit my brother used. <laughs> <laughs> there is no watershed, Ali. It's okay. Um, but it's it's fascinating. It does, it does maybe... I find the change in dynamic of what people are interested in fascinating 50 i mean look it's stack overflow so those ninety-five thousand people are predisposed to uh coding and being interested mm. in coding mm. they're on stack overflow exactly that's so i, I assume it is nowhere near 50 percent of people that's aged 17 and under have coded but it might actually be higher than i would think when i was at school i would hazard a guess that one percent of people in my school had coded by the age of 17 Oh, even, would you even go that high? Well, I, I knew one kid who was into computers and we thought he was a nerd. I mean, not that there's anything wrong with being a nerd. I'm a bit of a nerd. But no, a nerd no, in a very, you know, in that very traditional computer geeky sense. I mean, Whereas I now, I, I think point. that coding is just, it's a skill like maths, science and 100%. English and is do, a skill. And I do think you have to be interested in it for you to to start it at the age of 17 or before. You're mm. doing that at a hobby at the age of 17. You're not doing it for a career, are you? No. And that's what he was saying, is that most of the people that come, it move into this kind of technology space, working in that space, and join the workforce as a hobby. Yes, because they care about it. Yeah. Now, what pressure does that put on businesses? He talks about the fact that uh, access to talent is needed to accelerate development. 
which got me thinking because I often have thought that businesses um, are forced to they're forced to adopt a dis, a kind of a, a, a virtual team idea because the talent isn't where they want it to be necessarily yeah, yeah. yeah. so they kind of go right we, we need to have a virtual team because the data scientists aren't all in London yeah and that it's very much a choice of if we don't do this we can't get access to talent mm. maybe it's more of a positive choice than that maybe it's a case that they're not just forced to do it but organizations might want to do it because then they can keep pace better yeah so then you're maybe, also getting the best talent possibly. well we always talk about diversity right mm. and i think mm. i've been guilty of not thinking about hang on a minute you could have a development team in london Hang on, let me rephrase this. I've always thought the, the 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 ideal would be if you could have your development team around you in London, if it was cost effective, you would choose to do that. But maybe that's wrong. Maybe actually businesses... You thought that's the better option. Yes. Okay. But maybe businesses would look at it and go, it's better to have two people in India, one person in Sweden, one person in the States, one person in Latin America, because we get a better range of skills. We've got better talent and we're pooling more diverse thoughts what's the negative on that though yeah having two people there two people there two people there well, of course i get that i get that? that but i've all i've always viewed it as organizations are forced down that route because of access to talent rather than maybe it's a positive choice i don't know whether i've articulated that very well no i understand what you're saying but i think that if you have one person there two people there what you brought up when you were talking to him in the podcast uh, when you're talking to him in the um, interview, you brought up a really important um, point around company culture. Mm. So when you're asking people, new people, to join your company in London, yeah, and and I've actually experienced it now with the role I'm working for um, Nashtech, is that their people are all based in Vietnam. People are like, so who's my team? Who do I sit with every day? When you're hiring the people to work in the head office. Yeah. So that they want to know, okay, so I'm going to be sitting on a computer speaking to you there, you there. Yeah, but let's be honest so about it. Dynamics? Like in, in our office, I sit three meters from you and our communication is a blend of... Teams, yeah. Teams yeah. and actual physical, hey, I, how you doing? I like it when you walk up to my desk and speak to me, but that's just how I am. But, but, we, we, but we do have a lot of communication through teams, teams and guests yeah. and whatever else. Yeah, and yeah. Of communication. I, don't, I just think that this whole area is fascinating. Um, well, so was um, Stack Overflow, are they bringing out, because they, they're saying, are they, are they bringing out something similar to Teams? Is that what they, is that they're, they're working alongside, them? yeah, oh, to okay, kind of make fine, it more fine. developer friendly. Okay. And, and I love this idea. Is that just for developers though? Sorry. Uh, yes. Is it? Okay. That's I mean, cool. it's just a developer, it's just a development workflow within Teams. Okay. I Maybe understand. they can correct us if that's wrong, okay. like, you know, in, in tweets or something. There we go. <laughs> um, but I do love his, as well his point about part of a DNA of a developer is about sharing. It's a community that wants to bring people along. Mm. Because actually, the traditional view of the developer is someone who is quite antisocial. In that, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, maybe not antisocial, this that's unfair. This is my work, leave it alone. Type yeah, but thing. introverted yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and not the biggest communicator. Mm. And actually, I think that, again, is unfair. That's a view that's perpetrated by people like me who are outside of that community that just went, our weird mate who sits in his room all day at university, who we all love, but he's a bit different. Um, yeah. But... They're online and they're communicating and they're sharing and it's a really thriving community. Just because this, it's not in the same way you do it. Exactly. Exactly. Look how ignorant I am. Look how ignorant you or, are. Or certainly was.
Um, one more thing before, before we, we stop talking about that. I, I went on and I went to go, so they do that development survey and I went on their website, I went to go look at their stats and I, not another gender based thing, but I do want to point out one really cool thing is I went on there and females, majority of females now um, within the tech space have only been in there for the last couple of years, which just shows that the world's moving in a really positive way. Um, and that a lot of females are joining the, the development industry and it made me really happy. So thanks for your development survey. You Dan can't see the thumbs up and the genuine smile on Ali's face. Oh, it really did yeah. make me happy, yeah. Prashant, thank you for coming on Tech Talks. We're going to take a short break and when we are back, we're going to be talking about drugs, pills, pharmaceuticals, uh, a bit of technology news. Once a month, Tech Talks opens The Tuck Shop, a YouTube tech news roundup, which is kindly carried by Disruptive Live. Disruptive Live is the UK's first and only 24-7 TV channel for the technology industry. Stay up to date with all the latest industry news by following our regular talk shows broadcast live across the Disruptive Live website and social media channels. You can also catch Disruptive Live at some of the largest global technology events, broadcasting from London, Manchester, Singapore, Dubai, and many more. Welcome back to the show. Uh, so, a bit of technology news taken from The Observer. This was published on Saturday. Revealed how drug giants can access your health records. So basically, the gist of this is that anonymized records that have been sold by the NHS uh, can be pieced back together. If you've got enough fragments of data, they can basically take that to reconstruct it and go, ah, that's, that's actually Ali yeah. or David. Yeah. Uh, and this information is being sold at vast sums of money because people want access to the NHS because Britain has 55 million health records. That's estimated value of 10 billion pounds, not dollars, 10 billion pounds a year absolutely colossal resource um several threats uh to, to to kind of think about if google for instance were to use this data and end up finding a cure for cancer then it would then and then sell the cure back to the nhs for huge sums of money then i think we could have could say we have missed a trick and people might go well hang on a minute if google find a cure for cancer mm. surely that's worth the price but don't forget, we're already paying for the NHS in in, yeah, in our taxes. Exactly. And then if the NHS gets more expensive because they've got to buy a cure back that they could have found themselves mm. if their data was structured enough, and I think this is a key point here, mm. and then we end up having to pay more for it, that does feel like we're being duped. It is. Um, 100% that's what it is. And that's mismanaged or... It's not mismanagement of data, it's just that the NHS unfortunately isn't set up to possibly make as much sense of that data in the way that mm. Google, which is ready built to handle data of that quantity, is. Um, and then there's the insurance angle, that anonymized data is all hunky-dory because uh, an insurance organization can't go, oh, well, that's that person, they've got this pre-existing condition that maybe they don't even know about and we can sit their premiums up, versus when they can paint a picture of you and maybe you will then you know, lose out in the future as a consequence. I think that either way, either way, it's kind of, hold on, let me, let me, word, my, let me word my words properly. Um, I don't know if I see the issue here. Go on. I think that surely it's okay for them to know who's got what 
You know what I mean? I think that, so the issue here is the fact that they're selling this information, right? That's the issue. And I, I think there's they can that use this information. People know that they're selling the information, but they thought it was one thing and it's not. They thought it was anonymous and it's not. Well, I mean, the NHS is selling it as anonymous, aren't they? The, yes, but then... It's not but, the NHS's fault, well, is it? Well, yes, because they're saying that they're selling anonymous data, but in fact it's not anonymous because it can selling, be pieced back together. Well, when they're selling it, it's anonymous. Well, yes, but they have enough... They, they know whether or not this can be done to the data. Do they? Yes. I don't know. Um, I like the NHS because I, I, I understand. I feel like they've really helped so many people. They help so many people. Oh, oh look, look, this is not an attack on the NHS at all. I know. But there does need to be some clarity. And this is. I think this has to do a lot with people's understanding of data and how it works and their lack of understanding. Yeah. And, um, you know, if patients do not want their data to be used for research, they have to actively opt out of the system at their GP surgery. I have, have I have no problem with my data being used. For okay? research, right. For research. If it leads to cures, if it leads to better drugs, cheaper drugs. You have a problem... If we have to pay more, I have a problem if if the example, the Google example, if that was exactly. then like we've already paid for something and the data's already there, and something comes along like a cure for cancer that and can, and, and then people get priced out of it and die as a consequence. Yeah, no, that's that's wrong and a bit grey. Um, but I go to my doctors regularly-ish. I've never ever, I don't think, been given the choice of opting in or out. No. With regards I mean, to my data, I'm, I'm not aware of ever having been asked that question. And if someone do says... They, are they saying they do ask that question? Is that well, it says saying? that you have to actively opt out of the system, but have you ever been asked whether or not you no. want to? No, maybe they're saying we have, you have to phone them and be like, don't use my information. Yeah. And, and the, the point is, is that NHS data is increasingly sought by researchers and global drug companies because it is the largest, most central, centralised public organisation of its kind in the world with unique data resources. Data is so valuable and it puts a real premium on the NHS. And I think most people in this country would feel somewhat nervous if they realised the real value of that data and then realised that it was, it was accidentally being sold off on the cheap. Or it was being sold off on the cheap without them really realising, or even worse, being tricked. I think that's, that's the issue here, is that people are just not aware of it. I mean, look how unaware I am. Yeah, look, I'm fairly ignorant of this. I don't know. Why do we always end these things on such a bad note? <laughs> do I, is, it, is it like my weekly depression corner for yeah, you? Yeah, and it's a Monday, David. It's not, it's Tuesday now. Well, it's Tuesday, even worse, Suicide Tuesday. Suicide Tuesday? You never heard of Suicide Tuesday? No, I don't think we should be talking that up. I, I promise you, it's a thing. People are more sad on a Tuesday because you're so far away from the weekend. Well, let's, th- let's think of a happy thought then to finish. Good. I've heard of evil Tuesdays, but not suicide Tuesdays. There we go. Babs. Come on, think of something. Come um, on, think of, think of something fun to finish on. Okay. You're the happy one. I know. I'm trying to think of like a joke or something, but I don't have any really good Oh, jokes. no, I've heard your jokes before. They're bad. No, I know. I don't have any new ones. <laughs> All right, look, I think we will end it there. Thank uh, you, guys. Thank you for tuning in. Uh, Prashanth, thank you for being our guest. And we will be back on Valentine's Day. Oh, week of love. There's our happy thought. Bye, guys. Bye.